CJSW presents Body Slam Poetry, an eight-part podcast series about Calgary and Alberta's wrestling legacy in the current independent scene. Adam Cole is one of the most decorated and beloved wrestlers of the modern era. He's wrestled and won championships for WWE, Ring of Honor, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and currently AEW, all by the age of 33. With all that success, in a sport as risky as pro wrestling, you can't be invincible forever. Adam Cole wrestled as part of AEW and New Japan's joint pay-per-view Forbidden Door in June 2022, and during the match suffered a severe concussion. It took him out of action and off TV for the rest of the year. Cole was uncertain if he could ever wrestle again. He suffered constant dizzy spells, headaches, vomiting, and an endless amount of doctor visits. This could have been the end of the road for one of the modern generation's greats, who all of one month prior, in May 2022, won the inaugural Owen Hart Cup Tournament in AEW, a tournament put on by the Calgary-based Owen Hart Foundation and led by Owen's widow, Dr. Martha Hart. A reminder that no matter how much success you achieve, it could be all over in an instant. Adam Cole returned to AEW television on January 11th, 2023 to cut a promo in the middle of the ring in front of a capacity crowd. This is an excerpt of what he said that night. Seriously, every single day, I'd read things like, I miss Adam Cole. I hope Adam Cole is recovering all right. I don't care if Adam Cole never wrestles again. I just want him to be okay. And that meant the world to me. Because pro wrestling, at the end of the day, pro wrestling is a give and take type of situation. We give you everything that we have, the fights of our lives, and in turn, you show us appreciation. I had given you nothing, nothing for six months, but you were still there for me. For that, I am eternally grateful. Thank you. That give and take relationship that Adam Cole talks about is why pro wrestlers enter the sport in the first place, despite the risks being evident and public. That is one of the main reasons why one of the most disrespectful things you could ever say about pro wrestling is that it's quote unquote fake. This episode will talk about the real-life wear and tear and toll pro wrestlers do to entertain us. And if you by chance have ever used the F-word to describe pro wrestling, hopefully this makes you reconsider. Episode 4. It's fake. When I was talking with Calgary journalist and wrestling historian Heath McCoy, who wrote the defend book on Stampede Wrestling titled Pain and Passion, The History of Stampede Wrestling, he had this to say. There, I, I hate it when people say wrestlers aren't, it's all fake and they're not athletes. Like, I mean, Dynamite Kid's in a wheelchair because it's fake. I- we discussed Stampede Wrestling legend Dynamite Kid in episode two of Body Slam Poetry, titled The History. So to elaborate on what Heath McCoy said following Dynamite Kid's storied career, where he wrestled for Stampede, WWF, All Japan Pro Wrestling, and New Japan Pro Wrestling, with his matches with Tiger Mask in Japan in particular, being some of the most influential matches of all time in terms of the high-flying ability and innovative offense displayed, Dynamite Kid was forced to retire in 1996 due to the amount of back and leg injuries he had suffered throughout his career. 
One year later, in 1997, Dynamite, real name Tom Billington, lost the use of his left leg and had to use a wheelchair to get around, and was told by his doctors that he would never walk again. One of Dynamite Kid's signature moves was the diving headbutt, which is exactly what it sounds like. You jump off the top rope and land headfirst onto another human being who's laying on the mat. There's no way of faking that. Knowing what we know now about concussions or CTE, the dangers of doing moves like that are becoming more known, and we're seeing less of them in the sport. In fact, the neuroscientist who researched the effects of concussions in American football and later co-founded the Concussions Legacy Center and Boston University CTE Center is Christopher Nowinski, who was a former wrestler who worked for the WWE for one year from 2002 to 2003. After suffering a concussion in a match on WWE Raw and experiencing post-concussion symptoms, he retired from pro wrestling, which led him down the path of his current career as he was speaking from personal experience. It goes back to Adam Cole from earlier in the show. The post-concussion symptoms he was experiencing were quite severe as well, but he rehabbed and took care and extra caution with himself that he was willing to get back into the ring. One profession I compare to pro wrestling is skateboarding, another high-risk and impact sport. It's just you and a little board trying to do the coolest tricks or high spots to bore a wrestling term. Like in pro wrestling, you are going to eat crap a lot. You're going to fall. You're going to bail. You're going to take a bump on the ground. It's going to hurt the next morning. But skateboarders, like pro wrestlers, know those risks going in. Tony Hawk, the patron saint of skateboarding, and frankly, one of the patron saints of my growing up, period, displays this more than anyone. At age 54, Hawk is still out there grinding, literally. In the excellent HBO documentary about Tony Hawk, aptly titled Tony Hawk Until the Wheels Fall Off, one of the interview subjects is his fellow Bones Brigade member Rodney Mullen, age 56. When asked why he hasn't retired and why does he still do it despite all the health risks and broken bones and ailments he's received, Rodney said, and I quote, When I'm done with this, that'll be what it is, and I'll find a way. But there's something inside of me propelling that. I'm not going to give up until the wheels fall off. That's what I'm made of. Pro wrestler CM Punk, who is 44, used the exact same until the wheels fall off motto after he was sidelined with an injury in 2022. This is what they were put on this earth to do, and they want to fulfill the passion, fulfill the creative art inside of them, and make moments and memories that us fans will never forget. I discussed this with Raj Singh, a Calgary-based wrestler who wrestles currently for Impact Wrestling, and what he has suffered in his career. Man, the, the the list is long, man. Yeah. Um, I, I've I've you know I've I've been uh, lucky to not have broken any like major bones, like an arm or leg or something like yeah. that. You know, a lot of small things broke my hand a bunch of times, my wrist, collarbone. Um, obviously, I broke my nose, which is still broken, but I can't get it fixed right now because right. if I do, I could get that like big bump, and I don't mm. want that. So I'm walking around with a with a broken nose. <laughs> but um, the main one, I mean, I've separated my shoulder bucket over times where people wouldn't know because I just pop it back in and continue my day. But um, I, I tore my ACL. Um, and, you know, it doesn't sound like a, a lot because it's such a common surgery. But for a professional wrestler, it's a lot because it's literally like our body is our body of work. Um, it's the way we it's the way we uh, make our money. So that was a big mental game. 
and it was like the recuperation is i got hurt just before covid so all the surgeries got pushed back so i had like my surgery time my wait time my recovery time the world of pro wrestling never stops there's no such thing as an off season with weekly tv shows and big pay-per-view events happening year round even on christmas day in some instances so when you're out on the shelf of an injury the fear is you might be forgotten as someone has taken your spot in the interim so it means you have to really impress and be motivated to get a renewed push when you're ready to come back this is what raj said and then from there you gotta like pretty much wait for the writers to want to bring you back in right because you gotta remember too like i mean again me being a realist i didn't have the best run in my first year and a half so it was just okay at best so when the writers hear that i'm ready they were like eh okay and then when they found out i was ready i was like listen man i'm ready like if you guys are gonna use me i mean i want to be here but if you're not gonna use me like how much more time to my contract they brought me back and I was I, 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 I had a very diligent and a very serious and committed training so when I came back like they literally thought some people were literally asking like or saying nice to meet you or who is that guy like they didn't know I was the same guy which wow. I was kind of happy about but yeah. at the same time I was pissed I was like oh dude I worked with you for two years People truly do not understand what it takes to be a pro wrestler. Even I, a lifelong fan, can only partly grasp it since I've never physically done it myself. I also talked to Ava Lawless, one of Calgary's rising stars and former RCW Women's Champion, and this is what she had to say on the topic. Well, for one, it's definitely a lot more physical and more painful than anyone believes it is. You know, everyone goes around saying it's fake, but the amount of abuse we put our bodies through... There's no way the average person could do that day in, day out. You have to really, really love it uh, to put yourself through that. Um, And then I think along the way you learn that the moves aren't everything. The story is everything. So um, you're able to tell a story through your facial expressions, um, through your connection with the audience. And I think going into it, I was like, oh, I want to do the twist of fate. I want to do this. And I'm like, oh, it has to be so much bigger than that. Um, so it's definitely like multifaceted. And what was the worst injury Ava has received? Sure. Uh, I've been wrestling about three-ish years now. Yeah. yeah. Um, the worst injury I ever had, um, I took a back suplex and they over-rotated me and I landed directly on my head. It compressed a nerve in my neck, which made my left arm basically, um, impossible to use. Um, I had twitches for about three months I couldn't sit I couldn't drive um, I was doing multiple Cairo appointments massages um, stretching I was using like that Dr. Ho thing um, basically anything to hurry up to get me back in the ring because I basically couldn't I couldn't step foot in the ring because there's nothing I could do because one side of my body was out of commission um, so that has to be the worst injury I've had um, I did get like a little bit impaled by a chair but that only took me out for like a week. So, (laughs) you know, just small things. (laughs) So you might hear Ava say things like about how she couldn't sit or drive and how one side of her body was out of commission. And you might respond with, why do you keep doing it? Why is this something you choose to do with your life? This is what Ava Lawless had to say. But there is some sort of saying where it's like, you can love wrestling as much as you want, but it's not going to love you back. So you have to do it for yourself. You know, you you have to truly love it and give it everything you've got. Because 
some days are going to be hard. <laughs> um, but if you do love it, then it's the best thing in the world. That passion is what drives every great wrestler. As it's not like you're raking in the money to begin with, especially on an indie level. There are easier ways to make a living, but pro wrestlers are artists. It'd be like telling a musician, hey, cool brah, but what do you really want to do with your life? You'll probably have to work a day job to support your passion, just like an indie musician, but it's worth it. I'll be touching more on these themes about the similarities between punk and DOI culture and pro wrestling in a future episode, so stay tuned. Back to the topic at hand, Raj Singh had this to say about how Calgary training set him up for his career, in addition to other Calgary wrestling greats like his cousin, former WWE champion Jinder Mahal. Calgary's one of the main ones where uh, everybody was trained properly. Everybody was trained properly, and you know, like, we get the F word thrown around in wrestling, fake. It's not fake to us. We, like, I mean, I challenge a lot of people to come train with the Dungeon Boys or oh, guys that came oh, out yeah. of Dungeon. Um, Get stretched, student. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Dude, is it, you know, like, there's... percent. <laughs> you know, and uh, not to say that the way Bad News and Jerry Morrow did it was 100% correct, <laughs> but... When I would get hit with a kendo stick for messing up my training, I wasn't getting hit with a kendo stick like he's going to bury bonds on me, try to knock me out. <laughs> he would come in, give me that tap on the ribs. Get your stuff right. Boom. Get your stuff right. Boom. Get your stuff right. And finally, we get it right. I don't have to get that kendo stick anymore. So I learned with like the, what do we, what do you call it? The, like the, 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 the physical, the heart, the, the heart therapy. But, um, so you know, my cousin and I, we take a lot of pride in the sense of how we were trained. And I know that uh, TJ, Natty, and Harry, and anybody else like uh, APOC, who was Victor on TV with the mm. WWE, right. they were all trained through Tokyo Joe. And they literally had the same training style as we did. Yeah. So it's like we, we um, yeah, I guess our Calgary guys were trained properly. Raj is referring to the legendary Tokyo Joe, who was based in Calgary until his death in 2017, and was a close friend of Stu Hart. He helped train a lot of people who came through the dungeon with a wooden artificial leg Tokyo Joe train Italian Neidhart, Tyson Kidd or TJ, and Harry Smith, the next generation of the Hart legacy. Brad Hart would later call Tokyo Joe the best legitimate wrestling trainer in the world. Tokyo Joe's training was more than just learning wrestling moves, as the dungeon famously had no ropes, just a mat to fall on and hard walls, with conditioning being a key component of Tokyo Joe's training, including running up and down stairs, repeated squats, sit-ups, and push-ups. It's tough training, but his students worshipped him and knew they would not be where they are in their careers today without his training. As this is on a picnic... This is a physical sport. Speaking of veterans of the Calgary scene, I spoke with Otto Gentile, founder and promoter of Can-Am Wrestling. His experience in the Calgary wrestling scene extends back to the 80s, and his knowledge of the sport is unparalleled. This is how he responds when people tell him pro wrestling is fake. The, the ones that I, I try to explain to uh, people that, oh, it's fake. Yeah. It's not fake. Sure, there's predetermined outcomes, yeah. but we are trained more or less to be professional stuntmen that throw ourselves around to try and tell a story yeah. of good versus evil. Sometimes good weighs out in the end, sometimes yeah. evil weighs out in the end. 
but it's telling that story to the general public that's there you want to try to get them hooked and invested in your character yeah so really that's what we do uh everybody's trained the same way uh guys make moves their own by adding their charisma their flair you know a spin here or there or whatever yeah. they they add to that move to make it their own they change the name they give it a name that's different from what the actual move is but it's mm -hmm. still that move and that's the biggest thing is guys go into that ring we're giving each other our bodies yeah. to perform and create this story in the ring and what people don't realize is you know sometimes accidents happen there's a shot that gets gets in there and trust me we get pissed off at each other but at the end of the day, when we get back through that curtain, we understand that it, this is a business out there in the ring is our office. Once we're done in the office and we come back through that, we're still a brotherhood. We're a sisterhood of people that are trying to perform, I guess you could call it like a visual arts. And... Uh, that's the biggest thing that people have a hard concept believing that we're doing this to each other. Yeah. But it's if we don't work together, we look like absolute idiots out in that ring. Yeah. So right. the better we work together, the better the outcome. And that's what fans want to see. They want to see that outcome. Yeah. They want to be invested in your character. So that's what we try to do. As reference on past episodes, what makes pro wrestling such a great art form is that it's a collaborative medium, a choreographed dance, where if all the athletes hold up their end of the bargain, everyone wins. Sure, there might have been some ego-driven, I must look good at every moment and stand triumphant at the end of every match, but those aren't the best wrestlers. When I think of the best wrestlers, I think of someone who began his wrestling training in Calgary in 1990, and his name is Chris Jericho. Jericho has been wrestling consistently since 1990 and to this very day still wrestles at a high level every week as part of AEW. In fact, last year, 2022, some people would say it was maybe the best in-ring year of his career to date. Now think of the ground that covers. And you know why Jericho has had longevity? Because of how well he works with others. He's choosing to work often with young guys, rising stars like Ricky Starks and MJF, who are only in their 20s. And he comes out of those feuds often on the losing end, as Jericho's career is cemented as an all-time great. So what he and other vet wrestlers can do now with their stature is help make a name of the next generation of Chris Jericho's. And why does someone like Chris Jericho at age 52 still wrestle on TV every week? To quote Ronnie Mullen again, and when I'm done with this, that will be what it is and I'll find a way. But there's something inside of me propelling that I'm not going to give up until the wheels fall off. That's what I'm made of. Me and the Body Slam Poetry team conducted interviews after an RCW or Real Canadian Wrestling event at the Legion Number no. 1 in Calgary. Here is our interview with independent wrestler Joey Vendetta. Warning, this interview contains coarse language. When did you get into wrestling? 
professionally, I got into the wrestling business in uh, 2004. I originally actually got involved in uh, some backyard stuff with the guy who had bought a ring from the guy I actually ended up getting trained by in 2002 and did some stuff there, 02, 03, but uh, in uh, about May of uh, 2004, I got a hold of Charles Pachette who ran High Impact Wrestling out of Regina, Saskatchewan, and uh, I'd seen him on a message board, sent him an email, got a hold of him, had a time set to go and train, and by uh, July of uh, 2004, I was down at the training center, and then by September, I was wrestling on my first show. And that was, uh, you know, in all 2004, and uh, me and Cannonball Kelly were the ones that uh, were, all, were coming in from Moose Jaw to do that training. Amazing. So, like, what, like, inspired you to get into it? Uh, I've always been a one-trick pony. It's always been wrestling because you kind of get a little bit of everything. You know, you've got the, the theater, the pomp and circumstance, yeah. you know, all the the hoopla and everything like that. Did you right? have a gateway at all? Or, like, like in terms of, like, what, like, like inspirations or anything? Or just, you know, just in general? I remember watching wrestling with my brother. As far as actual, like, wrestlers go, I was always a Hulk Hogan, Macho Man kid. You know, the Mega Powers were were what I remember watching when I was, you know, two, three years old. Um, you know, I went to a few indie shows with my brother who was never as big into wrestling as me, but he'd always kind of went with me when, on things like that. He'd always like the big guys, like the Yokozunas, King Kong Bundys. Anybody who was a big, beefy dude was somebody that he was always into, but, you know, never... You know, not much on that. It was more uh, more of a me thing. I watched with my grandma a lot, pay-per-views in the Attitude Era and stuff like that. I remember going to my grandma's house. She'd always got such a big kick out of Vince McMahon's You're Fired. And, yeah. you know, I remember watching pay-per-views there. My grandma, my uncle, family, friends, and we'd gather for that. And that was always fun. But it was mostly just a me thing. You know, I'd watch wrestling every Monday, you know. As a teenager, you know, on Mondays... Uh, here in Canada, we had Raw, and then Tuesdays we'd have Nitro. Wednesday eventually right. was Thunder. Then we had SmackDown. Friday, ECW. Saturday and Sundays, you had all the the hour-long TV shows. You know, and so I'd always just I watch as much as I could, mostly by myself, until uh, till I was about 14, and that's when I met uh, Cannonball Kelly, and that's when I had actually met a wrestling friend that knew just as much about wrestling as I did, and somebody who I could connect with on that type of level. So he's been my 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 only real like wrestling friend that I had as a as a teenager before I got into the wrestling business itself. Yeah. So you said you've been wrestling or training since 2004, and so like how many, how many, how long you been wrestling in RCW or any Calgary events? Um, RCW, I had started coming out originally there in about mid, uh, oh, mid 2015, and I went right through until the end of 2016. I'd come out. I was doing a tag with uh, with Rex Roberts. We were the Redneck Renegades. Had a, well, I think three tag title reigns in there. We had a bitter split. I had went off on my own on more of a villainous persona. Um, they had the heavyweight title at the time was vacated because Bobby Sharp, uh, who was the current champ, was going to uh, somewhere in Ontario, I do believe. So they had the Canadian Classic um, throughout the summer, and the top eight guys would be seated into the tournament, and I was the top seated guy in the whole Canadian Classic came to the finals of the tournament with uh, Scott Justice and uh, Scott Justice won the heavyweight title. We did a couple of rematches and then I pretty much finished up my time with the company there because I was getting ready in early 2017 to have knee surgery to fix my torn ACL, MCL and meniscus. What are some of your like favorite memories or live moments as a wrestler that you've had? Ooh. My um, one and only springboard. I've only been able to actually springboard to the top top rope one time, and I was wrestling Cannonball. 
in Yorkton, and it, we were doing every single thing we did in the match was to, in memory of a friend of ours, to just kind of pop him. I mean, it was two years since his death at that point when we did the match. So we did we did a bunch of things that our buddy Mike would have, we knew he would have liked. And then I, I said it was Mike that was, you know, because he was six foot five, this guy, he was huge. He, he said he was the one who grabbed me and put me on the top rope for that one and only springboard I did, you know. Like, he just had to have been there. Um, there's that one. Anytime I get to wrestle Kelly, like when I was wrestling for Chuck, we'd go up and do a lot of North, northern Saskatchewan shows, and he'd usually put me with Kelly in every town at least once. And I asked him why. He said, whenever you wrestle Kelly, you always tie your boots just a little bit tighter. You know, I think it's because you can always hit your best friend a little bit harder. You can always, you know, do a little bit Trust more with your more. best friend, right, like that. So anytime I got to wrestle Kelly is always fun. We did a tag title change in Moose Jaw where me and Kelly won the tag belts from Billy Bones and Dixie Dragon. And the building literally shakes. There's about 200 people in there. But the, on the camera, the camera starts shaking. The building was shaking. It was like a goosebump feeling and you know like that one was really cool and kelly's grandma's got both of them got to be there for that one so that was cool and she was trying to kelly was bleeding she's trying to get roll her wheelchair to get in the ring stuff like that you know that was that's always good stuff yeah and like i mean i've been a fan since like 97 so like i'm like die hard like you guys and but it's funny because that's my team over there and like this was jed's first show nice. and like it's fun i always like going with at least someone who hasn't gone before first and it's always good to have and it's always yep. like watching it through their eyes and it's like especially like these shows are just always a big hit mm -hmm. and stuff so what's a kind of like in terms of like a, a newbie like in terms of like selling wrestling to people don't sell wrestling don't okay. sell, don't just, don't, don't, don't sell wrestling sell them a night out a night yeah. out where you get this is cathartic you get to you can boo that guy that you don't like it doesn't matter if everybody else likes him you don't so now you for the next two hours you get to, to boo cheer do your thing you get to get out everything that's been pissing you off all week long all that you know it's such a cathartic thing like and 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 on the other side of that for me like coming out and and tonight i was got to, i got to be a good guy but what my favorite there's no better feeling for me, literally, than walking out and having a room of a couple hundred people boo the ever-loving shit out of you. And you before you've done anything, they just, you know, that all those boos, it's like, yes. Like, yeah. so way more than being cheered. Being, being cheered is very nice. Yeah. Being booed is such a beautiful feeling. Yeah. It's hard to explain how, it's just a beautiful feeling. That's such a great way to put it. Like, that's very true. Got, you know you've already got them in the palm of your hand at that point. They hate you that much. You haven't done anything yet. But, like, I come out the Survivor when I'm a bad guy. I use, I use Destiny's Child, right? Like, because it's, for one, when I changed to that music when I did the split from Rex, because the lyrics of the song, I thought, fit what was going on. Now that you're out of my life, I'm so much better, blah, 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 blah. And it talks about how she is so much better now that she doesn't have that guy. Yeah. So, but I use that because it's such easy heat. Now they hear that and they're like, "Oh shit, here comes that guy!" Like you know. And so you got him off of that. I come out. I'm smi slimy, cocky, small, chicken shit. Do whatever I have to do. You know. It's yeah. It, wrestling, so many things. It could be something different for everybody. That's the best part. That's I, th that's amazing. So uh, thank you so much for your time. This was. Thanks for listening to Body Slam Poetry. This episode was written and produced by Ben Goodman. Assistant producer Sophie Chardon. Edited by Jed Mabaza. And music by Grayscreen. Stay tuned for episode five, Why Get Into Wrestling. Additional sources, All Elite Wrestling, Home Box Office.
This initiative is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada.